Well, good afternoon. I have a couple of questions for you and then uh, something I want you to begin doing. Uh, is there a cardiologist here? Anybody in cardiology here? Physician, nurse? Okay. How about an ER doc or a nurse? Okay. Could I see you up here for just a second, please? And then uh, why don't you, I want you to turn to two or three people uh, beside you, introduce yourselves, talk about where you came from. Uh, if the person beside you is somebody you already know, look behind you or in front of you, okay? <laughs> Hi, I'm Bob. Murphy. 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 Rafiq, okay, all right. Where are you from? I'm uh, originally just I'm in Baltimore. Okay, and so are you practicing in Baltimore? Mm -hmm. ER doc? Mm -hmm. What hospital? Okay, all right. I have some friends who are at uh, Hopkins is in Baltimore, right? Yeah, yeah they're in residency. Okay. Uh, no, I think uh, I think one of them's in uh, medicine, and I'm not sure where the other one is. But uh, yeah, Bruce Sabbath. Oh, you know Bruce? Yeah. I know Bruce. I sure do. Yeah. 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 So, would you be willing to help me out? Whatever you need. Yeah. And can I? Um, I, I need, I, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, resuscitating somebody who goes into cardiac arrest. I just want to ask you some questions about what's that thing you guys do with the paddles. And then, uh, and then uh, I'm going to ask you, um, like, um, okay, so how much, do you, how, how much energy do you have to use to shock them? And, would, and that's measured in joules, right? Okay. And so I'll ask you how many joules it'll take to resuscitate me if I go into heart, cardiac arrest, that type of thing. Okay, and um, and then do you mind if I if I uh, make just a little bit of fun of you? Oh, no, good. you're all right. You've got a sense of humor. I can so, okay, it. you can handle it. Okay, all right. So are you sitting way in the back? Are you by yourself? Or are you with somebody? Uh, I'm not with anybody. It's just there are no seats. <laughs> okay, there's a seat right there. Yeah, I don't think anybody's sitting there. Yeah. Okay, if I could have your attention, please. Uh, my name is Bob Mason, and I am the executive director of a ministry called the Medical Strategic Network. Uh, we are a partner ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ, and uh, I also have the privilege of uh, directing a program called the Whole Person Care Preceptorship. And so we spend a lot of time uh, training health professionals and students how they can better assess and address the spiritual needs of their patients. And uh, 
might talk about that a little bit later uh, today, but I'm glad you're here. Uh, this is a great crowd. Just don't tell the fire marshal. Is the fire marshal here? Okay. I did, I, I'm blind. I can't see past the first four rows, and so if he comes in, I didn't know, okay? <laughs> but uh, thanks for coming. Uh, you guys got a chance to uh, meet each other a little bit, and uh, let me tell you a little bit more about myself. I am married. Uh, my wife uh, is uh, from California. We both live in California right now. I'm originally from Mississippi. And uh, this is our children several years ago. That's my son, Jordan, and Alyssa. That's Alyssa uh, swinging through um, the jungles of Mississippi. And uh, that's outside my brother's house. Uh, we, I'm a Mississippi native. I lived in California for about... Uh, Oh, 25 years now, uh, 23 years, and that's our family on a family outing um, on the lake near my parents' house in Mississippi. Um, that was an interesting afternoon. We uh, were jet skiing and uh, took a corner pretty sharp, and the jet ski flipped over, and the kids went flying, and, uh, but they all survived. Uh, but uh, anyway, here we are a little bit later. This picture was taken uh, at one of my favorite places in the world. Does anybody know where that is? Venice. Coronado. Okay. Yeah, where were you going to say? I was going to say Venice. Venice. Uh, okay. Yeah. Coronado Island down in San Diego. Anybody know what that is? It's a hotel. It's a hotel. Okay. Know the name of the hotel? Coronado. Coronado. Close. Okay. There we go. Hotel Del Coronado. And uh, Wonderful Victorian property, and uh, presidents have stayed there, and state dinners, and all of that stuff. I stayed there once uh, in a sleeping bag in the restroom. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, that's a little bit about us. Uh, my wife and I have been married uh, 20 years, and uh, a lot of the principles that we're going to talk about today have uh, helped keep me married. So, um, anyway. Let's suppose that you're on the mission field, and um, you are a medical missionary, and you have a patient come in, and um, or actually you're on a mission trip, and you're going in, and um, uh, you're supposed to meet a surgeon uh, on the mission field, and there's a patient that you're going to need to take care of. And let's also just suppose that uh, um, surgery is not your specialty. Uh, you might be a nurse. Uh, many of you uh, might still be in training. And uh, there's a very complicated brain aneurysm uh, that you guys are going to go into the field and uh, take care of. And uh, you're going to arrive uh, a day early. And uh, you actually uh, linked up with the surgeon on your way in in uh, London and uh, spent the night together and went over the case and know what you're going to do. And so he's going to spend a few more days in London, and uh, you're going to go on down and uh, see the patient and everything. And so you get there, um, wake up the morning that the surgeon is supposed to arrive, uh, wake up uh, ready to assist in that procedure, and uh, your cell phone rings. And um, it's a surgeon, and um, things have changed, and he is not going to be able to come in and help with the procedure. And so he basically says, uh, you're going to have to do it. Now, some of you are like, yeah. <laughs> but uh, others are petrified at that prospect. If you can imagine, that is a lot of how the disciples felt at one point in their journey, on their missionary journey. 
they had been hanging out with this really cool guy who seemed to have it all together. His name was Jesus. And um, it was an interesting, fun gig, um, traveling around, doing mission work with Jesus. Um, everything seemed to always go right. Um, you're out doing your own thing, doing ministry, seeing scores of people come to the faith. Tax day, April 15th, is coming, and you don't have any money, and look at Jesus, and he says, let's go fishing today. And well, we got to do our taxes. You know, i got TurboTax loaded on and ready to go. And uh, he said, no, we're going fishing. And you go fishing, and you catch a fish, and you look in the fish's mouth, and uh, there's some money. And he said, that should be enough to cover our taxes. Um, you have a um, pretty cool uh, weekend trip planned, and uh, your team's going to be doing some cool ministry work. Um, and uh, funny thing about Jesus, uh, he doesn't always have his advance team in place, or it doesn't seem like he does. But he says, go into town, and when you see a guy, uh, you're going to see a donkey, and uh, it's going to be tied up, and just take the donkey and bring it back to me. And if anybody says anything to you, just tell them the master needs it, and you do what he says. And um, somebody begins to say, what are you doing with that donkey? And you just say, the master needs it. Oh, okay, fine. You know, go ahead. Um, you have a big spend-the-night party. You have 5,000 people show up. <laughs> now, on the invitation, it didn't say anything about bringing your own lunch. <laughs> and um, you're in charge of uh, food services. And all you can find is a couple of fish and a few pieces of bread. And um, no problem. Jesus uh, says the blessing, and somehow 10,000 people are fed. I say 5,000 because Scripture typically doesn't only counts a male population for some reason. And uh, you've got more food left over than you know what to do with, and you stock up Salvation Army food pantry for a year. You know. And it's an incredibly fun and exciting gig to be traveling with this missionary named Jesus. One day he comes in and he starts unpacking some things, some teaching, and, and, and you finally begin to get what he's talking about. And he's saying, another week or two, guys, I'm out of here. And um, it's not going to end, it's not going to look real well initially when it starts to end, but it's going to end really cool. But uh, the thing is, I'm not going to be around much longer to be with you. Now, now, you've been traveling with him, and you finally began to get a little bit of a grasp of what he's talking about in terms of spreading the gospel, not only in this village, not only in this town, but he's talking about the county beyond, and then the next state, and then the next country, and then the next ocean. And I mean, this is big time. And you always thought it was going to be cool because Jesus was always going to be with you. And, you know, tax day, no problem. 10,000 people, no food, no problem. You know, uh, the plane's late, no problem. But all of a sudden, all, the guy who has all the brains, all the vision, all the drive, all the energy, all the wisdom, all the knowledge, everything, tells you he's not going to be around anymore. 
Sort of the same way you feel when the surgeon calls and says, I'm not going to be there. You've got to do it yourself. What are you going to do? And how are you going to do that? Well, I want to spend some time talking today. As Jesus began to unpack this idea that he wasn't going to be around much longer, one of the things he told them, he says, if you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. What he's talking about here is the person of the Holy Spirit. He, long throughout Scripture, we've seen the Spirit of God descend on people for short amounts of time to empower them to do things that they normally wouldn't be able to do or normally might not even think about doing. And Jesus is saying that I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send somebody to be with you all the time to provide direction to you and to provide power and support for you. And so this sort of begins a journey for the disciples of understanding a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. Now, you've already gotten to know each other a little bit. I'd like you to turn to your new best friend and two or three of you spend about four or five minutes looking and just as a a small group talking about these questions. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? Why did the Holy Spirit come? How is the Holy Spirit relevant to your life? Do you need the Holy Spirit? Why or why not? Now, some of you want to start at the bottom and work your way up or whatever. That's fine because you're not going to cover all of these in five minutes. But, But begin talking a little bit amongst yourselves and see what you can come up with. Answer to some of these questions, okay? Five minutes.
Okay, a couple of more minutes, about two more minutes. Okay, let's come back together, please. Thank you for, um, for your discussion, whatever you guys were talking about. You're talking about something, but thank you. Okay, we could go in a lot of different directions, and we're going to sort of stay more center road, main line, but uh, tell me some of the things that you uh, came up with. Uh, just shout out loud. Uh, who is... What is the Holy Spirit? It's a person. person. Very good. Scriptures attribute personality. Qualities of personality. Okay, good. All right, what else? God. God. Very good. Okay. God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What, What else? What does the Holy Spirit do? Guides us. Oh, wow. In, in, empowers. Okay, what else? And dwells, encourages, comforts, counsels. Convicts. Ooh, I don't like that one. Let's move on. Okay, yeah, very good. Points in, point things out to us in our life that, hey, Bob, that one cool, what you did. Okay. Other things. Why did the Holy Spirit come? I'm sorry. Okay, all right, yeah. When, when, when you do what a friend of mine calls the trust transfer, that is tr- transferring whatever it is you're trusting in to get you to heaven, into Jesus' death on the cross is payment for your sins. Several things happen, but one of the theological truths that happens is that the Spirit of God comes and dwells within you. You know, a lot of times we say that, oh, I invited Jesus into my heart. Sort of. Actually, the part, the, the person of the Godhead that lives and represents Jesus, represents God in our lives is the Holy Spirit. Okay? All right? Why else did the Holy Spirit come? Other reasons? To help? Okay, yes. Okay, all right. Everything we covered in the points. Yes, yes. Anything else? Yes, sir. Okay, yeah. Help us fulfill the Great Commission. Very good. Good thing to talk about at a missions conference. Anything else? Um, is, help us. Yes, help us understand the Bible. Enlighten God's word to us. Enlighten truth to us. Show us how it applies to our lives. And in, through the Bible, oftentimes, 
show us things that we need to work on in our lives. Other things. Anything else? Freedom. What? Okay, yes, yes. And we're going to touch on that a little bit more. Any other things? Power. Power? Yes, ma'am. To do great things. Do great things, yeah. Jesus said you'll do greater things than I did. Wow. Transform us. Transform, yes. Begin that process of sanctification in our lives. Okay, is the Holy Spirit, is it relevant to our lives? Okay, wow. Yeah, okay. So I can go home now. You guys have it. All right. Do we need the Holy Spirit? Okay, all right, yeah. So, and I think that's why you're here. You already have that, trying to dig a little bit deeper, so let's dig together. Jesus talked about, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. What part of nothing do you not understand? And this sort of began a journey. As the disciples began to wrestle with this idea, Jesus isn't going to be around, but they didn't totally get it. This Holy Spirit thing, person, whatever, is going to be here to help us. Jesus talked about that being the true power source, but even in Acts chapter 1-8, after he ascended into heaven, he said, okay, he gave them the Great Commission, but he said, guys, I want you to wait around until you receive the Holy Spirit, okay? Don't leave for the mission field until you have the Holy Spirit and begin to understand how that lives its step out. In fact, he said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, all right? So they began to wrestle with that, begin to sort of see it lived out in life. Shortly after this, Holy Spirit is given Holy Spirit comes, Holy Spirit indwells people, the body of Christ at large for the first time in the history of the church. And it's more for those who have put their trust in Jesus' death on the cross as payment for their sins. It is a permanent thing, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Previously in the Old Testament, when you see the Spirit of God, it was more temporary. It's like here, there, shortly, there. But now, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God is living within people forever, those of us who are Christ's followers. Okay, about the same time, somewhere around in the early 30s, different people put it at different times, 31, 32, 33 AD, there was another missionary sort of on the other side of the tracks, literally, and he thought the best thing that he could do for God is to round up Christians on an afternoon and throw them in jail. And that was his gig. And that's what he did. And he was a terror. And the New Testament church was just terrorized by this guy. One day he is traveling with a group of people that he's rounded up, and they're going down the road to Damascus. They're going to round up some Christians and throw them in jail and make life miserable for them because that's the best thing that he could do for God. And he's going along, and he encounters the person, the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, why are you messing with the people I like? In this encounter that Paul had, Saul at the time, had with the risen Jesus Christ, literally, and pardon me, knocked him on his butt. Couldn't see. 
And that encounter began Paul's journey to understanding spiritual power. He retreated for a while. He came to Christ. He began to grow in the faith. And Paul became an incredible missionary, but it wasn't until and through a process of God helping him understand the power of the Holy Spirit and how that applied to his life that he really began to go into his own in fruition. 55 A.D. This is probably some 20, about 55 A.D., probably some 20, 22, 23 years after Paul first encountered Jesus Christ. He was writing to the Corinthians, the church at Corinth, chapter 12, verse 7. Paul says, There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, we don't know what it is he's talking about. But there is something that's gotten literally under Paul's skin, and it's really bothering him. We don't know. Some people speculate it's a speech impediment. Other people might think it's some type of chronic illness that he deals with. Some people think it might be some type of physical disability. There might even be talk that he was a, a stutterer. And, and so we, we don't know what it was. But it was big enough for Paul in his spiritual journey to bring it before God and say, God, you have got to deal with this and you've got to, got to help me. And the way you need to help me is you need to take this away. And it was an interesting process because first time he went, he said, God, take it away. It's like, no. Second time, No. Third time, no! Now, that's pretty harsh. But you read on in terms of Paul's journey. And But, he said to me, but, God said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul begins to get it. Therefore, I will boast all more, the, more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me, that it's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses for insults, in hardships and persecutions and difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. If you were going to pick a spokesperson for Christianity, what would you want? Now, obviously, somebody that's attractive, somebody that presents himself very well, superior intellect, Able to argue. Be good if he's buffed and, you know, pumped up. Looks good on TV. <laughs> Paul sort of emerged as a spokesperson for Christianity, but there was something that he felt like was incredibly inadequate about him. And he said, God, you've got to deal with this. You've got to take it away. And, Paul, and, and God would repeatedly, no, Paul, that's not going to happen. Because you know what? I don't want you relying on that... Ivy League school that you went to. I don't, re I don't want you relying on that great family that you came out of. And I sure don't want you relying on that social club that you used to be in to help you do what you want. And, and I don't want it to be that great intellect of yours either. You want to be successful? You want to accomplish what I've called you to do? Paul, you need to rely on me. And you need to rely on my power, and you need to learn how to allow me to control every area of your life. And this begins, not begins, it's sort of chapter two of Paul's journey in understanding the power of the Holy Spirit and learning to rely on the spiritual power that he gives. He sort of lows along, 
begins this journey about five years later. He's writing to the Ephesians. He tells him this. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for those of us who believe. That power is like the working of mighty strength, which he, he being God, exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand. Now let this sink in. Paul is saying, I want you to know the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Rafik, Dr. Rafik, would you come join me for a minute? Just met my very good friend, Rafik. Rafik is an uh, ER doc in Baltimore, and uh, I asked him to come up and help me for a minute. And I just want to find out a little bit more information. But um, Rafik, um, you're an ER doc, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So if I come in under cardiac arrest, flatlined, what are you going to do? Are you DNR? You know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a DNR. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, just kidding. Um, so typically you do what uh, you call ABCs. Okay. He knows that airway, breathing, circulation. Okay. Uh, so you address the breathing, okay. the, your airway, and a breathing aspect okay. first. So if you need to be intubated, okay. you do that. And uh, meanwhile, you'll usually have this bunch of people around you trying to get you on a monitor. Okay. Um, now let's get exciting. What, what are those paddle, paddle things so that you guys do? <laughs> so once you get to the monitor part, uh, you know, when you see what sort of rhythm the person is in, uh, depending on what the rhythm is, it, usually if it's like something like ventricular fibrillation or something like that, then uh, zap you. Okay. So how hard or how, how, how much zap do I get? It's a good amount of energy. It's usually uh, up to about 360 joules. Okay. Um, All right. So that often can... So do you start out at 360, or what do you start out we at? We used to start out at 200, then 300, and 360, and now we usually just go directly into 360. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So straight to 360. So person my history, my age, all that type of stuff, 360 should do it. If it's going to happen. If it's yeah. going to happen. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, so you've done a lot of these? I guess, yeah. Okay. And you're pretty good at it, right? I don't think anybody's good at it. <laughs> Let me ask you this. How many joules does it take to resuscitate a cadaver? Uh, no matter how many you try, it's, it's, it's cadaver, it's cadaver. What kind, what kind of doctor are you? I thought you were good. <laughs> Apparently, uh, not a very good one. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you get the point. Thank you, Rafiq. Yay. This is exactly what God is talking about power that it takes to resurrect a cadaver. Think of your training. Have you ever seen that happen? No. Been dead for 72 hours. What, what if I was like that for 72 hours? Could you? No. It's worth a try. Worth a try. Okay. <laughs> Same power. This is what Paul's talking about. Same power is available to us. Raise Christ from the dead. Powers available for us. Same time period. Paul's 
later, same time, writing for, to the, the Christians in Ephesus, he says, For this reason I, know, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with the power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Dwell in your hearts through faith. About a year and a half ago, guy that did our preceptorship, Matt Fong, uh, came in from St. Louis, was going to start residency in Southern California before he moved into his condo, which he was in the process of buying, hadn't closed yet, came and lived with us, stayed at our house, opened our home up to him, here's the kitchen, make yourself at home. We even let him hold the remote if he wanted to when we were watching TV. (laughs) Now that's what it means to make yourself at home. And this is what Jesus is, or Paul is talking about, dwelling within you. Not just being a resident, being president of our lives. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and how and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul's sort of getting into the motivation. What is it that motivates us? It's the love of Christ and his incredible acceptance for us, regardless of what we've done, regardless of where we're at, regardless of our ability. And in the midst of that love, it's like, okay, what's my natural response? Here's a remote, God. You know. Circumstances. Paul learns a little bit about power and circumstances. A year later, he's writing to the Philippians. He's under house arrest. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Exams, boards, but there are only two people in my fellowship group on campus. A friend of mine went to medical school. God laid it on his heart to share Christ with his, with his classmates, systematically, one by one, had spiritual conversations with them. Halfway through his class, nobody was interested in anything he had to say. He's actually laying in bed, face down one day, literally sobbing, saying, God, why have you given me this vision and nobody is responding to your claims? God met him there. Secret of being content in any and every situation. By the time this guy finished med school, There were 400 students that God raised up at his med school and several others in his town. Being content. Call schedule. Short reimbursements for Medicare. Marital challenges. On the other end, success. Got your number one match request. You're pursued by the most prestigious groups in the country. Plenty, want, are you content? 
you figured out that you can do everything in Christ who gives you strength through the power of the Holy Spirit? Another one. Power over the past. 1 Timothy, 64 A.D. Paul's sort of nearing the end of his ministry. He's writing to a trusted colleague that he's been able to pour his life into. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, Timothy, who has given me strength, though he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service, even though Paul's sort of going back, doing a little review biography, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. I have another friend. He's an internist. Med school professor. Incredible CV. Uh, med school uh, at Loma Linda University. Um, I think residency at UCSF, uh, fellowship at Harvard, followed by a, a stint at the NIH. Came back to teach med school and whip all those miserable med students and residents into shape. He was an absolute terror. He has met people that told him that they delayed graduation from med school for up to a year so that they wouldn't have to rotate with him. That was how bad his reputation was. This guy came to one of our conferences, had been what he would call a religious pagan, churchgoer, church pagan, you know, church member, but never met Christ. Met Christ at our conference, and God began to change this guy's heart. And um, to the point now that if you look on page four in your notebook, page four on your notebook, that's him, Harvey Elder. I've said at some of our professional conferences and men, physicians, attendings, been in practice 20 years, pointed to him and said he's not the same guy anymore. Once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, arrogant, conceited, rough background, things you've done you're not proud of, things that nobody knows about. This is where Paul was. And he says, God's strength, power of the Holy Spirit, came in and transformed my life. Paul learned all of these experiences in the context of experience and history and growing in faith. It wasn't theoretical for him. God met him at different points in his journey and did incredible things in his life. And that's how he learned. And that's how he began to grow. At one point in his ministry, he has to go to Corinth. Corinth is a, uh, at that time was a boom town. It was a seaport city. It was known for its luxury, for its sports, for its incredible sensuality. The temple of Aphrodite was located in Corinth. And as an act of worship, they had a thousand prostitutes that were there at the sanctuary that would help you worship the goddess of Aphrodite. And Paul was sent to this place, and going in, 
he sort of knew the reputation that he had. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, he talks about how he was regarded, they looked at him as somebody who had a really poor, weak bodily presence and his speech is of no account. The message Eugene Peterson translates, it renders it saying, uh, he's a weakling and he mumbles when he talks. New Living Translation says it in person weak and his speeches are worthless. How would you like to have that on your promo flyers? And that's what was on Paul's promo flyer when he arrived in Corinth. And he wrote about this. This was, again, about 20 years after he began his faith journey and his journey with power. And he says, when I came to your brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now get this. I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that the faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Power over inadequacy. Your grades aren't good enough. You're not as skilled as the other guy. You don't have as much faith as somebody else. You don't know my background. You don't know the home situation I came out of. Paul can relate. Inadequate, doesn't matter. Isolation on the mission field. I've gone to some mission hospitals. They have more non-Christians in power of authority than they do Christians. What do you do in a situation like that? I was in one mission hospital and they, the chaplain told me, we don't pray in Jesus' name here because we don't want to offend the other people of different faiths. What do you do if you're in a situation like that? Or what if you do if you're the only one around? What, when the, what, 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 what do you do when that other partner or that other team who said they were coming don't show up. Paul wrote about that sort of same type of thing in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 66, 67 AD. We're about 30 years, 35 years past this start of his spiritual journey, his power journey with the Holy Spirit. Paul is literally, ultimately on trial for his life. And he says, at my first defense, no one came to support me, but everybody deserted me. Can you imagine being in court for a malpractice case? And none of your partners come to sit in the galley? Or your family doesn't show up? Your pastor said he would pray for you and be there is not there. That's exactly what happened to Paul. Now, we don't know why. They didn't show up. Maybe they were afraid. Maybe they got detained. But he goes on and he says, But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth.
I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Missions, walking with God, spiritual care for your patients, spiritual leadership on your campus. You were never intended to do it alone. You were never intended to do it on your power. Charles Stanley, noted author and pastor of First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, says this. Dependence and surrender go hand in hand. We can't fully surrender our wills until we are convinced that we are in a hopeless situation. As long as we see a way out, we'll generally opt for that. Why is that? You know, I think it might even be a little bit easier to do this because of the profession that you're in, the health profession. See, you're trained that way. Rafiq is trained when he shows up on the scene, he is in control, he takes control, he steps into authority, he makes decisions, he gives orders, he is the one who's going to get it done. And every one of you, if you're in healthcare, in your field, in your areas of responsibility, you're trained the same way. When I worked with undergrad students, I remember having a conversation with a young pre-med student who moonlighted as a EMT guy out riding around in ambulances. And he said, oh, I love showing up at an accident scene. Just love it. You know, everybody's waiting on us. We're the ones in control. Everybody's looking to us. You know, we come in and take control and help the patient and all that stuff and get them stabilized or try to get them stabilized and take them to the hospital. And I said, yeah, and when you walk in the ER, you're a peon. Yeah. <laughs> but you health professionals, you're trained that way, you're in control, confident, or at least trained to exude that image. So it's very easy. As long as you see a way out, you'll generally opt for the self-control thing, the own power thing. Mark Futado says it this way, the question is not whether power exists for triumphant living day by day, but will you use it? Yet our hesitancy remains. Always tend to try to do it ourselves. Raised that way, we're Americans. At least many of you here in this room are. Independent, autonomous, confident, equipped, trained. How do we get off that roller coaster? How do we live consistently for God? How do we rely not on our own power, but the power of the Holy Spirit that's available to us? Bible says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's this idea of being directed and empowered. God gives you direction. This isn't literally what the word filled means, but as you look throughout the New Testament, you get this constant idea of being directed to do things by God and then given the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what he's called you to do. Talked about the surgeon that didn't show up supposed to come in and help you do that case. You have no idea how to do this case. 
get the phone call and the surgeon says, look, sorry, I can't make it. And you're like, what? And he says, no, just, just calm down. Now listen. Now listen to me. Don't ask me to explain it. But if you will say okay, if you will say okay, I can come into your body from where I'm at and your eyes will become my eyes, your thoughts will become, my thoughts will become your thoughts, and your moves will become my moves. And you're sitting there with this patient, and the guy's going to die. I mean, what are your options? Okay, fine, do it. So you start the case. And there's like, there's this voice in your head. Do this. Cut here. Clamp this. Move this. And your movements are death precision. And you do the procedure all the time listening to this voice, responding to the impulses, responding to the direction. Complete success. It's exactly the way it is with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the only person who's ever lived the Christian life successfully. And what he says is, if you will allow me, I will come into your life and I will live the spirit-filled life the way that I know how to do it. I will give you direction and then I will give you the power to do what I've called you to do. Well, how do you get that in your life? Well, first, I think you have to desire it. Second, I think you have to confess things in your life that aren't right. And then the big thing is we need to yield control. And say, God, I'm tired of running my life. We need to let you run it. Pray, communicate those things, and then appropriate. Appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit. Get off that thing of I'm relying on myself. Get off that thing of I'm waking up in the morning, I'm going to live the Christian life, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Get yourself psyched up and then two hours later. Come in the next day and we'll do it. 30 minutes. Why? Because we're relying on our own power. Never intended to do that on our own. God wants to give us direction and he wants to empower us through the person of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people here in this room, sitting on the floor, (laughs) uncomfortable. I think it was in the early 1900s. Rose Bowl. January 1st, Rose Bowl game. Cal was playing Georgia Tech. Shortly before the half, there was a fumble, and a um, player from uh, Cal, uh, Roy Regals, picked up the ball, started running for the goal line. Problem was, he was running for the wrong goal. One of his teammates caught him. After he entered the end zone, pulled him out and threw him to the ground. A couple of plays later, there was another fumble. Georgia Tech recovered in the end zone. Safety, Georgia Tech, half begins, half is over. Georgia Tech goes up, 
two points as the teams go into the locker room. As the teams go into the locker room, every eye in the field, in the stadium, is on Coach Nip's price, Cal Coach, wondering what in the world is he going to say to his team. Team files into the locker room. Guys sit down. Roy Regals goes over and sits in a corner, puts a towel over his head, and starts crying like a baby. Coach Bryce doesn't say anything until the referee comes in the door and says, Coach, five minutes before we start the second half. Coach Bryce stands up and says, Men, the same team that started first half will start second half. Just get back out there. Team files out. Yet Roy Regal sits in the corner, towel still over his head, sobbing. Nips Bryce looks at Roy and says, Roy, do you hear me? Through his sobs, Roy says, Coach, I can't go back out there. Coach Price says, Roy, get back out there. The game is only half over. Papers say that Roy Regals went out and played the half of his life. There's a lot of water under the bridge in this room. A lot of poor choices, a lot of mistakes, a lot of self-struggle. I think it's time we get off that spiritual roller coaster and understand that it's not up to us, but what we need to do is desire, yield control of our life, confess our sin, ask God to give us the power through the person of the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. Now, I'm going to do something a little unorthodox for a speaker. I'm, I'm going to yield some of my time. And what I'm going to ask, at a conference like this, a lot of times we're just going fast. And I wish we had more time to do this. We've got about 10 minutes. But what I'd like to do is just give you guys, give us a time just to silence. I would encourage you to just sit there in your seat. If we were at a conference center, I'd say go out by the lake or something. We're not. I'd like you to just sit in your seat, take some time and think, reflect. Where are you at in this journey with power? Are you just starting, or is this all new to you? Why don't you begin to take the next step? Yield control of your life. Confess the things that you've been holding on to or the things that are short-circuiting that power. Ask God to fill you with the power of your Holy Spirit. Ask God to give you direction. I'm going to give you just a few minutes just to do that in your chair. I'm not going to ask anybody to come up front or raise their hand or anything like that. I'm not even going to ask you to share with your neighbor. And then we'll wrap up, and I want to just share with you one or two other things, and then we'll be done. Go have dinner. So about 10 minutes. Let me give you a little quick, quick Greek lesson talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Four things that are true and inherent in the Greek word filled. One is it's plural, applies to all of it. It's imperative, it's a command. It's passive voice, that means we receive it. It's not something that we make happen. But the pay dirt is in the present tense, and that carries the idea of ongoing. Now, it's different from salvation in the sense that It's different in the sense when we put our trust in Jesus' death on the cross as payment for our sin, that's a one-time event. takes care of every, I mean, salvation for all time. Present tense, when it talks about being filled, it's like ongoing. That means that 
we need to keep doing it. We need to keep confessing our sin. We need to keep repeatedly yielding to God. It's not like, yeah, I was filled with the Holy Spirit at the missions conference in Louisville. Because there's a story that's told about an old southern town. And like a lot of old southern towns that I grew up in, a lot of the churches have what they call revivals. You guys know about revivals? Yeah? And there was one church in this old southern town that every time they had a revival, the town drunk would come in and wander down to the front during the invitation and get on his knees and start praying, God, fill me. God, fill me. God, please fill me. And there was a lady that saw this happen, revival after revival after revival. And this guy showed up one time and did that little routine, and she yelled out. She said, God, don't do it. He leaks. (laughs) You and I leak. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we leak. We constantly need to be going back, and God, I blew it. God, confess. I want you to take control I want to rely on your power and not my own. It's what the spirit-filled life is all about. Thanks for your time. One thing I want to share with you before you leave, with the help of some friends, uh, one of the things that we do, a lot of your students uh, here, we do a, a summer preceptorship where we have students, health students come in from all over the United States and different parts of the world. We train them how to do whole person care, that type of thing. Two students here that are real quick going to share with you a little bit about their experience. One is Gabe Hodges, a uh, med student at the University of Kentucky. The other one is Benu Thomas, a med student at East Tennessee. So this program is open to all health students, and then we do a professional conference for uh, uh, physicians and other professionals as well on this. So Gabe, real quick, just give us a, tell us a little bit. Um, as Bob said, my name is Gabe. Uh, just to tell you a little bit about METS and the summer preceptorship. I mean, the focus of it is really to, to learn as health professional students um, how to share our faith, um, how, to, how to share Christ with patients. And we, we learn several different strategies on how to do that um, and talk about the ethics of it, how we can do it ethically um, without really being pushy about it. Um, and just how to do it in a, in a you know a secular setting or, or any setting for that matter. Um, and you know one of the things that uh, that is so good about it is we don't we don't just talk about it, but we do it. Um, and we get to go to um, hospital on Loma Linda University um, there in California, and we get to, to practice what we learned and, and talk to patients and actually do spiritual care, take a spiritual history, and and try to try to broach spiritual topics with people. Um, and that that's a what was an incredible experience for me is just being able to do that. And before I was going into my, my clinical years of, of medical training, um, just having that at the forefront of my mind. And, um, and I'll be honest, it's a struggle. And I guess um, as Bob's been talking about here, learning to yield to the spirit is, is one of the things that you have to do to be able to practice um, spiritual care and to be able to talk with patients about Christ. Um, but, it, but it's an amazing experience. Um, you make friendships, um, as, as Metz likes to say, that last a lifetime. And, uh, you know, the new here and I went on the same uh, preceptorship. We still keep in touch. Not as much as we'd like, um, but we still do. Um, and, you know, it's um, not just about the medical aspect, but just growing in our own faith with God. Um, that summer was an incredible time for me, just getting away from the hustle and bustle and craziness of med school and take time to really focus on God and what he was telling me and how he was preparing me for my future life as a physician. 
Um, and so it was a great summer, a great summer for reflection, a great summer for growth, and a great summer for friendship and, and fun as well. Um, something is a great place to, to, to enjoy yourself as well. So. I don't have too much to add, but I think one of the biggest things for me was just the reminder that my primary identity is in Christ. And so being a Christian should pervade every part of my life, including my profession. And there's such a taboo kind of speaking out about your faith and in the medical, in any field, but in the medical field. And realizing that if I say that I trust in Christ and you know, that's where my identity lies, that I should be bold in taking that um, in every part of my life. And like Dave said, it, you know, it went beyond, it was, I knew what that in going that I was learning about whole person care and being able to have experiences on the medical side of things, learning the spiritual history, but was surprised to find out that they took us way beyond that with our, our, our personal growth and development and just, um, really helping us to really um, be firm in our own foundation of what we know about our faith and so that when we go out and we're trying to share the gospel with people that we're prepared to do that, that we aren't going blindly and just saying words, but that we know what we're saying and why we're saying them because um, we have a great God and he has called each of us to share his word and share him and his love with everyone we come in contact with. And this preceptorship was a wonderful experience and definitely um, helped. <laughs> you can come up. Thank help you. Us do that. Thanks, Manu. <laughs> Thanks, Gabe. Let me pray. Father, thanks for the time that we can have here at this conference. Thanks for the church and their work in putting it on. Thanks for the food that you've prepared for us. And I pray that as we leave here that uh, we're on different parts of our different places in our journey. I pray that ultimately, and as we leave here, that we would be fully, more fully aware that it's not up to us to live the Christian life, but it's up to us to uh, confess our sin, yield control of you, and rely on the power that you offer to give us on a day-by-day basis. Pray this in your son's name. We've got some uh, flyers and brochures about the preceptorship in our conference up front if you'd like. Thanks.